Scott Roman here with Guatney Unplugged. Hope you're having a fantastic Saturday. Our first guest, I'm just quite fascinated with this guy and what he does. Steve Stepp, he's with the National Audio Company. And all throughout the days of CDs and downloading and all this stuff, they have continued to make the cassette tape right here in America. And it's, it's just fantastic. It's something I grew up with was cassettes. How are you, Mr. Stepp? Everything is good this morning. How are you, Scott? Oh, I, I'm great. When did cassettes first hit the market? I was born in 73, and I, I kind of remember 8-track. Yeah. But uh-huh. when, did, when did cassette hit? Cassettes have been around for a little over 50 years now. The late 60s uh, was when they really came in. They, they were a, a limited media when they first came in. To give you an example, the first one I ever saw was brought into my office by a fellow from Ampex Corporation, one of the big tape companies. And he showed it to me, and he said, what do you think of this? And I said, well, it looks like it might be used to make a little doll talk, but I can't see any real use for it. <laughs> and he said, well, uh, it's going to have a bigger use than that. So a little over 50 years ago, we did a, uh, an article with Time Magazine about three years ago about the uh, entry of the audio cassette into the recording industry. And uh, so I'd say about 1967, 68, late 60s anyway. What did it offer that the other formats didn't? Portability. Uh, small size, and still high-quality recording. The, or- the original ones weren't all that great as far as recording quality because they uh, didn't have the right oxide in the tape, and it was, uh, it was just basically a voice-grade thing. But as the years came on, uh, by the early 70s, they had good voice-grade tape and good music-grade, and that made the big difference. But portability, we had uh, vinyl records, and then we had reels of tape, and both of those offered excellent quality, but you couldn't put one in your pocket and you couldn't play one in your car. <clears throat> and so this is the uh, the big entry into the mass market for commercial music when the audio cassette came out, and it was universally useful then. I remember the ones like, you know, you'd buy Aerosmith or the Stones. Those always sounded better mm-hmm. than what you bought at Walmart and, like, recorded yourself, <laughs> you know? It was the method of recording. That's what we do today. Uh, they're not recorded like you do your own. You, you put your own cassette in a deck at home, and you punch a button, and the cassette moves, and you, you start recording into it. And when they're commercially recorded for music, uh, you record them on huge reel-to-reel decks, uh, they're running, in, in the case of ours, they're running at 150 inches per second or 80 times the playback speed. And uh, you can have excellent results with the recording that way. Uh, we record flat from 20 to 20,000 cycles, and we have 70 dBs crosstalk rejection between tracks, which means you have the same or better quality than you would have on a vinyl record, and you can equal the quality of most reel to reel tape recordings. Can you? CD is just a different thing, isn't it? I've, sure is. I've heard that tape. And record. My son is 16. He collects vinyl records. Yes. I guess there's a sound to that that an MP3 or whatever just can't do. You really have hit upon it, Scott. Your ears are analog. They're not digital. They're analog. And the world around you, the natural world, is analog. Your ears are used to hearing analog sound. It sounds natural to them. Now, when I first heard a CD, my reaction was, it sounds great, it's crisp, it's sharp, it's clear, and I could hear what appeared to me to be little jagged edges to all the musical notes. And what that is, when you, uh, when you listen to a CD or a digital recording, there are no harmonics. You're listening to the dominant frequency at each millisecond. All right? I gotcha. Only one. And then the next millisecond comes, and you have a different dominant frequency. And the higher the sampling rate you get, the more tightly those little 
milliseconds are packed together, I guess we'd say, and the more it begins to fool your ears into thinking, well, this is, this is real music. It really is a recording of an actual performance. What you're actually listening to is a digital photograph of real music. And so when you listen to a vinyl record or an audio tape, you're listening to an actual recording of real sound. And it's analog, like your ears are, are designed to listen to, so that's why it sounds better. Some people call it warmth. Other people call it presence. Uh, but it just has a more natural, soft, natural sound to your ears. How, how big of a factor is Guardians of the Galaxy for the resurgence of all this Walkman and cassette stuff? It is quite a thing. It, it came on late in the day. We actually saw the resurgence begin about 2006 or 2007 uh, with uh, Smashing Pumpkins and, uh, let's see, Pearl Jam and some of the other old bands uh, wanting to do uh, retro sets and come out. And that's when they really learned the public would buy audio cassettes again. But... <laughs> You're right when you say Guardians of the Galaxy was the flagship, because when that came out, Disney came to us and said, we've got this movie coming out, and they described that the boy's going to be given a mixtape that his mom made, and so on. And it has to look like an old mixtape, and the label has to look like it's old and dirty, and it has to look like it's handwritten. And, uh, and so we created that for them. And then they got the original masters of those, of those songs that are used on that, and we built an analog master recording together from all those. Well, it was the first million-seller cassette since 1994, and that really stuck the flag in the ground and claimed the audio world back for the analog media. And you made that right here in America. And we continue to make them. Believe it or not, we make 15, 20, 25,000 of those copies of that program still per week. But yes, everything is made here. Um, in 19 and, and 2016, we were notified that the last manufacturer of quality music cassette tape uh, was going to stop production. They were in South Korea. That's where we were buying the actual raw tape. And we said, how much inventory do you have? And they told us, and we said, ship it. And then we knew we had about two and a half years, maybe three years' time until we either had to be making tape or we had to be out of business. And so it's been a three-year crash program and uh, a lot of ups and downs and, and trial and error and learning on the way. But we actually make the tape, the magnetic tape, right here on our own factory. We duplicate it. We print the uh, artwork. We package them. And we put them on trucks and send them to Disney or Sony or RCA Records or whoever it is who's our customer. Uh, but everything is done right here in this country. All the materials are domestically sourced. We buy plastic cartridges, the little cassette cartridges, from a factory in Italy. All the Chinese are, are gone from the industry. And this is a much higher quality plastic now than we used to get. And the molds are much better. And our splicing tape comes from Ireland. But other than those two parts, everything else is domestically made and, and, uh, and assembled here. Hey, I want to take people back. I remember with a cassette, there is something to breaking off the little notch on the top or leaving yes. it there. What did that do for people? Well, when you buy a cassette uh, in a store, typically it has a, the little record tab in. That's what you're talking about, a little plastic tab. And after you, when you put that in a, in a home deck or a consumer deck, there's a little finger that comes out. And, and this is a, a precursor to the digital world. It was ones and zeros, okay? There's a little, a little metal finger that comes out and feels in that place. And if it runs into plastic, it says, okay, I can record this cassette. And it puts the machine into record mode. If, it, if you've knocked that tab out, it runs into a little hole. It can't touch anything, 
and it does not let the machine go into record mode. It can only go into play. And the idea was when you buy a blank cassette, uh, it will always have the tabs in. You record it. Then if you take a screwdriver or a fingernail file or something and pop the tab out, uh, you can protect that cassette from being accidentally erased. If somebody picks it up, sticks it in the deck, and accidentally hits the record button instead of the play button, it won't be accidentally erased. And tell us where you guys are at, the National Audio Company. We are in southwest Missouri. We're in Springfield, Missouri, uh, on the route of old U.S. 66, or now I-44, uh, just about uh, maybe 50 miles from the Arkansas line, about uh, 70 from the Oklahoma and Kansas lines. What's some of the, we got a minute here, what's some of the biggest artists you remember running their music? Elvis, Michael yeah. Jackson? Uh, we've done them all, yes. Uh, Prince, Elvis, Michael Jackson, uh, the London Symphony, of course, in the case now of the uh, the Force Awakens soundtrack for Disney. Uh, we did the soundtrack for uh, uh, Searchlight. Uh, we've done uh, many movie tracks for Disney and so on. Right now, we work for about 3,500 record labels worldwide, independent and major labels. Uh, but if if you talk about any of the uh, the new artists as well as the old ones, uh, we probably do them all. We've uh, we've done a lot of reissues of Kurt Cobain's music, you know, and all the way back in ACDC, people like that. And then Billie Eilish, who just won the Grammy, we did the uh, album on audio cassette that she won the Grammy. When did National Audio Company start? We started business in 1968. Uh, we began making cassettes in 1980. When we first began, we were selling reel-to-reel blank tape and uh, associated supplies, reels and boxes and things like that. The CD hadn't been heard of at that point, and in fact, the audio cassette hadn't, be, hadn't been. Uh, so we began in 68, uh, basically dealing with radio stations and recording studios, and uh, began. we sold our first audio cassette probably about 1977, 78, and uh, by 1980, we were actually manufacturing. What was the first artist you remember running? Oh my gosh, that's going to be hard to that's going to be hard to remember. Mahalia Jackson, I believe, not on audio cassette. We ran some tapes, some reel to reel recordings uh, for Mahalia Jackson, the old gospel singer. Right. And uh, that was very good back in in those days. We also duplicated the quarter inch reel to reel tape, and all the radio commercials went out all over the country on on tape. They weren't downloaded by from satellite like they are now, and also all the music recordings for radio stations went out that way. So some of our first artists were done on reel-to-reel tape, but uh, back on audio cassette, with the resurgence of the audio cassette, uh, about 2006, uh, our first artist then was the uh, the Pearl Jam Band. They were going to do a boxed set that they would sell to their fans and would have a cassette, an LP, a CD, and a scrapbook in the box. And they wanted 15,000 sets of these, and the cassette was actually considered to be kind of a novelty. They'd just throw it in the box uh, to remind people how it was back in the day. And uh, the interesting part about that is that by the time we got the 15,000 cassettes ready and shipped them to their warehouse for assembly, they had already sold everything on presale. Wow. And the next one, about a month or two later, was Smashing Pumpkins. Same kind of thing, 15,000 sets, trial marketing to see if they would sell. They did the same thing before they got to the warehouse. They were gone on pre-sale. <laughs> and that's when the commercial music guys woke up and said, hey, there's money left in the in the old audio tape. And so that's what started everything. Everything comes back around. I mean, I've got a 16-year-old that collects records. Yes, 
You know, I mean, they're only good in his room. We can't <laughs> listen to them in the car. Pretty and, hard to. Yeah, pretty tough to do. I, I got to ask you, did you ever venture into making a, a CD or, or anything of that effect? We have duplicated CDs. We don't anymore. Uh, they've come and gone at National Audio. We still sell blank CDs and, and packaging. But uh, we did, for many years, duplicate CDs and also uh, DVDs. Uh, but honestly, and this sounds... Uh, hard to imagine, Scott, but the market for those has dropped off to the point it wasn't worth keeping people actively employed doing that, and we've moved everybody out of CD production into cassette production. How old is the equipment you've got to use to make these tapes? All right, that's a really good question. I can't imagine. Really good question. When you walk in the front door at National Audio, you're walking into a building that was built in 1882, we're down in the old industrial section of Springfield in the original uh, industrial park. But you're walking back immediately 50 years. The tape duplicating lines are these massive tape uh, decks. Uh, they look a lot like which, what you used to see in the recording studios, but they're, they just run much faster. That's what we run, run the tape on. Uh, the loading machines are about the size of refrigerators, and they were built in the early 90s. That's some of our newest equipment. And then the uh, actual lines that we manufacture the magnetic tape on uh, were built in 1968, and they were built for a major American manufacturer when all the magnetic tape uh, in the industry was pretty much made in this country. And how hard do you, how do you get parts for that? I mean, it sounds like, you know, Iran flies F-14 Tomcats. They uh-huh. can't get any parts. Where would, you, where would you get parts for a 50-year-old tape-making machine? Well, we get them out of our tape supply, out of our parts supply. Uh, when the manufacturer of the cassette loading machines went out of business, actually the owner unfortunately passed away, uh, the state of North Carolina had a sale, and we bought, all the parts that they built those machines with. It was a 53-foot semi full of parts for those cassette loading machines. Uh, We've also bought up all the parts we can find for the duplicating decks. And uh, basically, Scott, we can buy air cylinders and electronic components like solenoids and capacitors and so on. We can buy those on the market. Uh, But the metal parts, we never use the last new metal part. When we get down to one, we hold that as a pattern, and we have a miniature machine shop right here in our own business, and we can replicate metal parts uh, as long as we never use one and allow any wear on it. We can replicate brand-new metal parts. So uh, the answer to that is uh, we get the parts for this equipment right here in our own building. I've got, I just got to ask you if you made these. One of my favorite things about a cassette when I was a kid mm-hmm. was they used to make these little story books. L- looked like little golden back books. They were Indiana Jones. Yes. They were based on a movie. You couldn't own the movie. Right. But you could get this little color thing, and it came with a cassette. And like, yes. if it was Raiders of the Lost Ark, when you heard the whip lash, uh-huh. you, changed, you turned the page. Yes. Did you make those? Uh, yes, we did. We got in late in the day on that. Uh, we used to do all of Hachette uh, Publishing. We used to do all their books on tape, you know, uh, Baldacci and Patterson and all those authors and so on. Uh, we used to do that. We, we got in late in the day on the storybooks for children. But the interesting part about that, because you've really connected with something, uh, we, back before we began working for Disney again, uh, we got a call from a lady at Disney, and she uh, called our cassette products uh, uh, specialist, and she told her, she introduced herself, and she said, I can't believe I'm making this call. And uh, the lady said, why is that? And she said, well, I was called in to the uh, board meeting this morning, and they said, uh, we want you to source somebody to manufacture audio cassettes for us. 
And she said, my first reaction was, my gosh, I was here 11 years ago when the audio cassette died. Right. And now they've called me back in to look for it again. And uh, so this is before Guardians and all those things, but it was it was only shortly before that. So the the old storybook lingered in their minds, as well as in the minds oh, of, of yourself. And they remembered back. And there was a special color. There was Pocahontas yellow, and there was Littlest Mermaid pink. All these special colored cassettes went with the movies. And we still have those colors, and uh, people buy the rock bands, love to buy them now for their for their new releases. But uh, that ties back into the little kids' books and to the books on tape. And so when they called this lady back in and said, we're going to go back into tapes, we're going to do this tape about this movie, uh, she said, I was here 11 years ago when the cassette died, and I can't believe I'm being asked to do this again. But she still deals with us, and she's bought a lot more cassettes since then. What was great about them, uh, Steve, is like the voices of the characters mm-hmm. were unique to those storybooks. Yes. You know, Optimus Prime and yes. He-Man and all that. They didn't talk the way they did on the cartoon. Uh-huh. They were unique to that cassette tape and that audio book. Mm-hmm. It was a whole separate production. During the lowest point of cassettes being down Mm -hmm. what kept you alive we were very fortunate scott uh we have always manufactured a lot of blank cassettes and uh back even when the when the cd came in and pretty much took over the market uh i would say in the 90s for music for commercial music when the main uh, commercial music duplicators pretty much stopped making cassettes they all switched to cds and uh, we were making blank cassettes primarily back in those days and also doing a lot of educational, instructional, and uh, and religious-oriented material. Uh, it was primarily voice material we were doing, but we were loading uh, for one customer in St. Louis. They were a big duplicator. We were loading a quarter of a million blank cassettes a week for them. So uh, that kept us going. We were not hurt the first time around when the CD came in and knocked the cassette out of the music market. And then uh, by the time it came back, by the time the audio cassette came back, we had actually gone around to those duplicators who wanted to get the, the tape equipment off their floors and make room for CDs, and we bought up their equipment and hauled it in here and restored it because we knew there was still a market in what we did for that equipment. And then we were just plain lucky. The audio cassette came back to the music industry. We were in the right place at the right time, and that's the story of how it came back. It's the 40th anniversary of the Walkman. Uh, I'm sure this has influenced what you're doing. Yes. It has, and I tell you what, I wish Sony would reintroduce the Walkman. We have people, there are a lot of companies making cassette equipment again now. Tascam is making the, re, the, uh, the rack mount decks, and Janssen and Kobe and some of those people are making little Walkman uh, wannabes. We've talked to Sony, and we have told them there are people all over this world who want to buy a Sony Walkman. Please bring it back. Oh, yeah. And uh, I had an odd. I had a very nice letter come back after I finally had had been begging for weeks and months about that. <laughs> a very nice letter came back from Sony, and you got to remember their music division that we work for is almost totally different company from the electronics, but they all had the Sony name. And this letter said, "Well, we appreciate your suggestion, uh, but we must tell you we can't accept a, an idea or a suggestion from anybody who doesn't work for Sony." <laughs> So I thought, okay. I've heard that before. <laughs> that was an odd one. But I really, really wish they'd bring it back because that's the uh, that's the, the kind of the gold standard of the of the little portable players. 
And uh, my gosh, those things are bringing three and four hundred dollars a piece in good condition. Now. All these Guardian of the Galaxy fans will pay whatever. That's right. To get a working one. That's right. And okay. so on the one on the one hand, uh, the the tapes themselves are selling by the millions, and uh, those uh, those little Sony Walkmans could be selling the same way if we could get uh, the Sony Electronics division to. People are realizing. I just got just a few seconds. People uh-huh. are realizing that. Streaming shows and downloading songs, you don't really own anything. This mm-hmm. is nothing physical. tangible. There's nothing tangible. Right. You know, I want the artwork, and I want to be able to hold the thing. I mean, it's great. We sure appreciate you talking with us, Steve. You're welcome, Scott. Steve Thank you Steph. for calling, and uh, anytime. National Audio Company, just across the border from Arkansas here. Uh, Scott Romine for uh, What the Unplug. We'll be right back.